All right. Hey, welcome Riverside Calvary Chapel. We are here with our special guest, Amir Sarfati. We are so blessed to have Amir join in with us here today. And uh, I know he's got a, a great word from uh, for us. And Amir is calling in all the way from Israel. Amir, how's the weather over there in Israel? Actually, today it cooled, uh, it cooled off and it even rained, but we've had a, a, a terrible heat wave the, the past week. Oh my goodness. But overall, it was a wonderful, wonderful winter, great rainfalls. The Sea of Galilee is almost at its top, and we're blessed. Super. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, we are super blessed, Amir, to have you agree to join in. We were going to have you here at our church live, along with Pastor Barry Stegner, on this Sunday. Uh, and it just obviously, with the events going on in the world, didn't happen. But we are super excited to have you come in and uh, take time to just share uh, God's word with us here this morning. So thank you, and I'm going to pass it on to you, and uh, then we're going to come back after the message together and uh, have a bit of Q&A time together. Thank you, so Pastor thank Brent. You, thank you very it's much. It's all yours. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Uh, again, Shalom from Galilee, and I'm super excited to be here with you. Um, I know that uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, we, we can't change things. Look, we're from sales, not from management. You know, there is a manager and he orchestrated things the way he wanted. But I do want to tell you folks that um, the topic today is probably the topic I would anyway share with you in Canada. And it's Bible prophecy. God gave it. Satan hates it. And uh, basically, um, you and I know that uh, the enemy is always trying to cause you not to deal with Bible prophecy. And that's for a very, very good reason, because he knows that God wants you to deal with Bible prophecy. It's very interesting because a third of our Bible contains futuristic events, events that are, haven't uh, taken place yet. And uh, this is the heart of God. Our God is a God that wants us to know the future. I mean, he's not sending us to psychics and to fortune tellers and to mediums. He is giving us his word. In Isaiah 46, he says in verses 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. And then he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, Things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is telling his children. Obviously, people who don't read the word of God, don't care about the word of God, don't hold the word of God as anything important. They will never even understand this. But to us who read and believe his word, we are the people that God is interested in revealing his plans to. And we must remember that this is something that I believe every person on planet Earth wish he had. We've got information. Information is power. And not just information. I can tell you now what's going to happen in the near future in the Middle East and what's going to happen in general all around the world. Not because I'm smart, not because I'm super intelligent. It's because I read the Word of God and I believe God's word is coming to pass. And why? Because I already saw how everything came to pass of past events in such accuracy 
that I have no doubt that the future things will be um, fulfilled the same way. Satan doesn't want you to know God's plans. He wants to weaken you. You know, when you know the plan of God, then A, you're not surprised. B, you're holding on to the promises of God because you know his promises are yes and amen. And you're not afraid of Satan. <laughs> you're not afraid of his schemes. You know the schemes of the devil. You know the end of the devil. And you know exactly the way he's operating. And he doesn't want you to know the plans of God. And by not knowing the plans of God, he weakens you. And weakens you, uh, you know, because, because you won't have the knowledge. And you will start believing everything that is said all around you. All you need is to know in advance and get ready and prepare. And this is exactly what Satan knows. He knows that if you will not know the plan of God, you will be weak. And this is maybe why Isaiah 14 says, description of, of the fallen uh, angel, Lucifer. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning. How you are cut down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. That's his mandate. That's his, in a way, life calling. That's his, you know, everything is to weaken the nations. And, and not only to hide them, uh, to hide the plan of God from them, but to also deceive them. And that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. If God says, if you eat from this fruit, you will surely die. Satan, the snake, the serpent said, you will not surely die. And that's, that's basically it. Satan doesn't want you to know God's and he wants to weaken you. And John 10, 10 says the thief, Satan himself, does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. And I, he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There's a huge difference. There's a huge contrast between what God wants for us through the person of Jesus Christ when he sent him 2,000 years ago and what Basically, Satan wants from you or maybe wants you not to have. You know, Jesus wants to give you life and he wants to give you hope and he wants to give you a future. Satan wants to kill and to steal and to destroy. He's stealing from you. What? The hope. And that hope is what Bible prophecy is all about. You see, the prophecy, a portion of the Bible is predominantly the way of God to tell you how this world is going to, or what is going to go uh, on in this world, and not to be dismayed. There, there are great promises for the believers. And that is exactly why I am so heartbroken when I see churches that are not teaching prophecy, because literally they are stealing from their flock the blessed hope that can only come uh, or you can only have it if you know of it. You know, a build, there's a, we all know there's a built-in desire in mankind to know the future. Even in the time of disciples, when they went up on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse, they themselves approached him after they showed him this amazing structure of the temple which they thought will never be destroyed, which they thought will probably be the place where Jesus is now going to rule from. And then he, they asked him, tell us, when will these things be? After he told them that, you know, this will be destroyed. And then they said, 
what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Isn't that interesting? The sign of your coming and the end of the age. The people who lived 2,000 years ago already realized we live in tremendous times. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, these last, in these last days, Jesus Christ has come uh, and God speaks through him. In other words, he considered 2,000 years ago the beginning of the last days already. But they already knew even then that there has to be an end of the age. Very simple. You know, if the Bible says in the beginning, then there's always an end to a beginning. In the beginning already renders that, which is the fact that there is also an end. Uh, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In a way, just by that verse, there's almost like an expiration date to this heaven and this earth. In the beginning, and it's interesting, in Genesis, in 1 Peter 4.7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You know, in other words, the writer, Peter is, is writing and saying, look, Everything you see all around you is going to come to an end. And you have to be watchful and you have to pray. And uh, we, we see the terms together, beginning and end, first and last, many times, even in the same verse. For example, Numbers 24, 20, then he looked on Amalek and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until the per that he perishes. In Deuteronomy 11, 12, a land for which the Lord your God cares, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. In Genesis 49, in Jacob's blessing, Jacob called his sons and said, gather together. And he's using the term that we're all familiar with. And he says, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. You see, when we talk about the last days, it's not the, the fruit of our imagination. This term already existed in the book of Genesis. And Jacob himself used it when he blessed his son. In Numbers 24, 14, and now indeed I am going to my people, come, I will advise you what this people, I will do to your people in the latter days. You see that the end times, latter days, this, it appears four times in the Hebrew Pentateuch, in the Torah, in the, in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 31, 29, for I know that after my death you will become utterly corrupt. And turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. And in Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 to 31, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown uh, uh, old in the land and act corruptly and make carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over to Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but it will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in numbers amongst the nations where the Lord will drive you and there will be, and there you will serve gods the work of men's hands and wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell but from there you will
Seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And now comes when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, he says. When you turn to the Lord your God, obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Now, we see the term beginning and end. We see the term end times or latter days. These are embedded in, in the very beginning of the word of God. But now we also see the connection between the Messiah and the last days. The passages that are pointing to the Messiah and the promise of God in the last days to bring forth the Messiah through the people of Israel. So you understand when Satan wants to block you from Bible prophecy. He wants to block you from understanding the things that God wanted already in Genesis, people to know. Genesis 49, verse 1, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall in the last days. And then Number says, I indeed going to my people, come, I will advise you, these people, uh, in the latter days. And, and, and in Jeremiah, he says, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, Jeremiah 25, and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 20, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly, he said. Jeremiah 30, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intent of his heart. In the latter days you will consider it. And of course the most amazing Bible prophecy that was granted to Daniel by Gabriel the angel in Daniel 9, the prophecy of the seventy weeks that are to describe the history of Israel and, excuse me, the future of Israel and of Jerusalem. And you see for your people and for your holy city, there will be 70 weeks to finish transgressions, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation of iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and six to two weeks and the street shall be built again and the walls even in troublesome time. God is revealing to his uh, prophets an amazing portion of history. And again, he's not only talking about the, the in a way, near future, a few hundreds of years after Daniel, directly to the first century, which, by the way, he, he prophesied on the day, but he also reveals what's going to happen in the last week, which is to come. And it's all given to the same prophet, which means that, look, if you don't understand Bible prophecy, you don't even understand why Messiah came for. You don't even understand what's going to happen at the very end, even with Jesus himself in his coming. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. That's, of course, for the first coming, but not for himself and the people of the prince, of not the Messiah, the prince, but, of course, the 
the, the, the Caesar of Rome, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Rome destroyed the city and uh, it was Titus Vespasian. And then, of course, the end shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. And then you see an amazing thing. It says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. You see there is a separated week that has not been touched yet. Everything of the 7 and the 62, which is 69 weeks, has been fulfilled. And now he's talking about something else of the future. And then he says, and he shall bring an end to the, uh, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, and until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Look, God is telling Daniel, look, everything has been determined. Daniel, all I want you is not to ask too many questions. Take the pen and write down and if you don't understand, I'll give you an understanding. But you cannot change what I'm about to tell you because I know what's going to happen. Look, God is not telling us, look, this is a proposed plan. If you will behave, I may change it. No, God is saying, look, I know the thoughts of mankind. I know how they're going to do things. I know how they're going to think. I know what they're going to do. God knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, just as we read in Isaiah 46. So God is already telling us, look, it's not in your hand. That Messiah is going to confirm a covenant. You cannot stop him. You're not going to stand outside his door and says, it is unrighteous for such a man to do such a thing to the people of Israel. Therefore, stay in your home. He won't. Look, that's the beauty of the of Bible prophecy. We are not to be afraid, surprised, having anxiety and fear. We have that peace that surpasses all understanding. In fact, every time a prophecy is being fulfilled, we need to even smile more and more and more. And not all prophecies are of good things. Yes, it's nice that Israel returned to the land. Yes, it's nice that Jerusalem is back in our hands. Yes, it's nice, maybe, for some people that... Uh, after a war, there will be peace and a temple will be rebuilt. But most of what's going to happen is going to be very bad. And we are being told all of that, A, to be prepared, and B, to prepare others. And uh, in Daniel 10, 14, I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, he says. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. Isn't that interesting? How blessed was Daniel to pray just about the return to Jerusalem after 70 years. And God says, Daniel, I love you. You pray about prophecy that was given by Jeremiah, but I'm giving you something much greater that every Bible teacher in the future is going to quote you not Jeremiah, and, and it's amazing because Daniel is being given more and more and more revelations, and Bible prophecy is God's way to convey and communicate to his people what he's about to do in the future. He wants his children to know his plans. He wants his children to be educated so that they are not scared, but they are prepared.
And we see the promises of the Messiah in the New Testament as well, not only in the Old. In Matthew 2, 2, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot... A Look, the reason I started with it is because so many people like to disconnect the new from the old as if they don't belong to each other, as it's a different ballgame, it's a different religion, different uh, uh, phase that God now is, is doing. No, we're, we're, we will always go back to Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. If you think that your faith in Jesus has nothing to do with the people of Israel, then kiss that thought goodbye because I just read you Matthew 2, 2 that connects it so tightly and firmly. And everything that God has, even in Bible prophecy regarding Israel, matters to you as well. <laughs> you can't run away from it. And by the way, Matthew 2, 2 is paralleled with what's written in Numbers 24, 17. Then there is Revelation 19, the famous... Um, the famous portion, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true in his righteousness. He judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written uh, that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And that's a parallel of what is written in Genesis 49, 11, when Jacob was blessing his children regarding the garment that is dipped with blood. It's, it's, it's amazing. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It just, we, we, we can see the things that were once concealed now being revealed, but it's not a different God. It's not a God on steroids. It's not God 2.0. This is the same God. He cannot change. And what he promised through Jacob in, in Genesis, he is now going to fulfill even in the very future for us in Revelation 19. By the way, Hebrews 1 verses 1 and 2 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by, by the prophets has in these last days. Look, the writer of the Hebrews, uh, of the book of Hebrews, acknowledged the fact they already lived then in the last days. What made him write that? The fact that so many prophecies are being fulfilled. Look, I, I always tell people, we live in the single most blessed generation since the generation of Jesus Christ. Look, hundreds of years passed before the first century came and Jesus was born, the promise of his birth, and then the birth, and then his, you know, the whole him growing up, and then he starts the ministry, and then the fame of Jesus going all around, and then, of course, comes the trial, and comes the, um, the uh, crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. All of these things were happening, boom, 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 all of it, one after the other. Four of the seven festivals of Israel were fulfilled one after the other in real time in the same year, 32 AD. It's amazing. People lived. They couldn't believe it. This is the first time that those disciples had a Passover like this. It's the first time they had a Pentecost like this. It's the first time they ever had a Feast of First Fruits like this. They've never seen anything like that in their life. And then, isn't that interesting? That it's not our grandfathers, it's not our great-grandfathers, it's us who live now in the 20th and the 21st century in the transition 
where another set of holidays is about to be fulfilled. The last one, the autumn one. Just like you can have a valley sometimes between, for, for example, the 69 weeks that were fulfilled and the 70th one, between the four festivals that were fulfilled and the last three that are about to. It's amazing. The Bible says that in this, um, the solution of mankind's problem is through the Messiah in the last days. This is what Genesis 49 talked about. This is what Numbers 24 talked about, the coming king. And the background story of God's plan to provide even solution is, of course, in Genesis. We all know that God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, what did he say to them? He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. There's a blessing, there is a seed, and there is a land. He is giving them all three. This is the separation now between man and God due to disbelief and disobedience that we're watching right now. These are the three most important components in God's covenant ever, which, by the way, later on, we see that again. And we see the first Bible prophecy spoken already in Genesis 3.15 when he's not even talking to Adam or Eve, he's talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and the seed uh, and her seed and her shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive. That's the seed of the woman. In Genesis 3, 15, the first ever prophecy in the Bible is already being promised and Satan is already on the defense from day one. And we see that the Abrahamic covenant continues that which started in the Garden of Eden when Abraham was 99 years old in Genesis 17. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I, I am almighty God, walk before me blameless and I will make what? My covenant between you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And then Abraham fell on his face and God talked to him and said, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, the father of many. I've made you father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Look, the blessing, the seed, and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you um, in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God um, to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And why am I so excited? <laughs> because we are the generation. We, not anyone else. We are the generation that is watching that fig tree coming back to life. We are the generation that is watching the nation of Israel resurrecting itself. Look, you have to understand something. When Jesus talked um, about the end time signs, he stopped, he paused, and he says, Hey, learn this parable from the fig tree. When the summer is, is near, then, 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 then it will uh, have leaves come forth. And, and then he says, When these things happen, you know that the end is near. And, and, and he says, 
and then lift up your uh, and then he promised that generation that is going to watch it shall not pass uh, uh, away. And why is it so important? It's important, but because look, we're the generation that is you. By the way, I'm part of the fig tree, so I'm like in both. But you guys are the generation that is watching the fig tree coming back to life. You can be part of Israel when it comes to religious and spiritual promises, but you can never be part of Israel when it comes to our national privileges. Your capital is not Jerusalem and your nationality is not Israeli. And, and this is something that belongs to Israel and Israel alone. And that has been restored right now before your very eyes. 73 years ago, Israel was born as a state. And, and just to... Two years ago, President Trump declared Jerusalem as capital of Israel and thus the embassy moved to Jerusalem. Listen, although Jerusalem was our capital from day one, finally the world superpower uh, has acknowledged that. These are historic things and we, not anyone else, we are ge the generation that is watching all of these things happen. And there's a great, great parallel between the things. A lot of people say, you know what, there is a what, whatever happened in the Garden of Eden and whatever happened to the people of Israel are two different things. Don't mix. We belong to what happened in the Garden of Eden. Israel is Israel. No! No, it, it is a continuation of everything. In Genesis, I'll show you some parallels. Genesis 3.8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And guess what? In Leviticus 26, 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. God says the same thing. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. What he was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he is for the people of Israel in the tabernacle. And in, 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 there were cherubim protecting the Garden of Eden and the entrance of the Garden of Eden is from the east. And we know there were embroidered cherubim on Israel's great veil between the Holy and the Holy of Holies. And the entrance of the tabernacle, and by the way, of the temple, was also from the east. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And in Numbers 3, 7, and 8, it says, And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. Also, they shall attend to all the furnishings and the tabernacle of meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. If that's not enough, in Genesis 3.21, also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And in Exodus 29, then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And if that's not enough, and you shall take the anointing all pour on its head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. Adam is not only that he was getting the role of a king but of, the, of the creation, but also a, a, a king yet a priest. In Exodus 19.6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So we see that it started in the Garden of Eden. 
It continued with the people of Israel. And then Jesus Christ comes and he's our king and he's our high priest in Hebrews 7, 7. Beyond all contradictions, the lesser is blessed by the better. He here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom he is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. We know that the believers are all now the royal priesthood. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own prince, a special people that you, you Gentiles, you in Riverside Calvary Chapel, you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not people, but now are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And I want it to be very clear in Christ Jesus. Look, he started in the Garden of Eden, then he chose through Abraham the nation of Israel to work, work through, and through them brought the Messiah to the world, and now he introduced it to the Gentiles around the world. And here you are 2,000 years later, sitting and studying the Word of God, and you are not less than any. In fact, you are more than the average Jew. <laughs> you're more. I mean, if, if, if you're now priests, there was a very thin sliver of priests in the society, in the nation of Israel. You don't have to become Jews you are even beyond it now. Your priestly kingdom, your priest, you're, you're going to reign with him. You're going to rule with him. It's amazing. And it's interesting because from the moment Satan was put on a notice that his end is coming, you know, Satan doesn't know everything. So he's, he's trying to guess. And by the way, I believe almost every generation is trying to push an antichrist. Maybe it's, it's going to work this time. And that's why people are confused with some ancient world leaders such as Antiochus Epiphanes or, or Nero or others, people are confused. They, and that's why they become preterists and they think that everything has already been fulfilled. No, Satan is trying, but it's not happening. Everything that has to do with the Antichrist has to include the rest of the things that have not happened yet. And so the Antichrist cannot, by the way, if we're still here, he cannot be here. And so that's another indication that he hasn't arrived yet. But the thing is, from day one, Satan is like, hmm, okay, who is that seed of the woman? I have to get rid of him. And Cain killed Abel. Why? Because Abel seems to be the guy that God loves more. And so Eve and Adam will have another son called Seth. And then through him, God is about to establish all of his plans. Pharaoh killed all the Hebrew males, but Moses was spared. Haman's conspiracy against the Jews, but Queen Esther saved the Jewish people, if you remember, through what she did. And then we know that uh, King Herod put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in, and in all of its districts from two years old and under. And we know that according to the time which he had determined from the wise men, of course. But what happened? We all know what happened. We know that Jesus was born. We know that they fled to Egypt eventually. You know, Satan is trying to stop Messiah from coming forward. He's trying to stop everything. And then if that's not enough, when Jesus already started his ministry, then Satan says, okay, I don't want him dead. <laughs> okay, 
because if he is going to die, that's my end, because he is going to die for them. And, and look, in Matthew 16, when Peter, with such a huge head, thinking, oh, well, I, I'm the one who said that he's the Messiah. You know, he said to them, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, in Hebrew, Mashiach, anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, are you Simon Barjona. Isn't that interesting, the parallel between Simon, Peter, and Jonah? Both of them actually fled from Joppa to the author uh, or, or were in Jaffa and, and tried to flee away from God's calling to go to the Gentiles. And it says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And Peter is like, okay, I am the chosen one. I am the one who heard from God while the others did not. And his head got, got so big. And then when Jesus felt comfortable enough to share with him for the first time that Messiah is not the Messiah you have in mind. Messiah is to die for you, for your sins. And he has to, he will eventually resurrect, but he has to first go to Jerusalem. He has to be um, uh, given to the hands of the priests who will be giving him to the hands of the Romans and they will kill him and he will be. And Peter is like, what? And then he said to him, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I want to die for you. And Peter says, hey, that shall not happen to you. And that's why he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. How can we be mindful of the things of God if we read the Word of God, if we know the Word of God? The Word of God reflects the heart of God. The Word of God reflects the plans of God. If you want to be mindful of the things of God, then you need to... Look, Satan banks on Bible illiteracy. He banks on the fact that most Christians don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't have communication with the Lord on a daily basis. He banks on the fact that they don't hear from God because they don't spend time with God. So he is he's banking on, I can deceive them easily. I, I, I'll, I'll just put online some stuff and I'll put all around stuff. I'll put new books and new music that will just brainwash them to think that this is who I am. But I'm telling you folks, Satan's actions towards the nation of Israel even didn't, didn't help. And we know that eventually, we know, we know, unfortunately, that a lot of Jews will be uh, deceived by the Antichrist. And Zechariah 13 is telling us in, in the most vivid and in, in, uh, I, I would even say a little bit tragic way. He said, it shall come to pass in all the lands, says the Lord, that two thirds in, its, uh, in it shall be cut off and die one-third shall be left in it, and I will bring the one-third through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name and they, I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Look, in World War II, one out of three Jews were killed. And then later on, 37 out of the 40 nations that have Muslim majority in the world openly refused to recognize the very existence of Israel. Most of their textbooks in their schools have maps of the Middle East, and Israel is not even on the map. You need to understand the study of Bible prophecy as it has no significance in the Bible uh, if 
you don't accept the word of God, the Bible, as the word of God. Jesus is about to come back, but the problem is, is there is so much confusion. You know, Jesus' disciples, even while he was with them, they believed that he would fulfill the promises related to his first and second coming at the same time. Why? Because they didn't pay careful attention to the word of God. They had absolutely no idea that there are two different comings in two different times. The first coming, when Rome is controlling Israel, and the second coming, Jesus will return to bring an end to the great tribulation, or known as Jacob's trouble, which he will come and sit on the throne and judge all 12 tribes of Israel and judge all the world that came against them. If a major doctrine of the Bible, such as the first and second coming of Christ, could be misunderstood, this serves as a warning to each and every one of us, even today, to be mindful of misinterpreting Bible prophecy. Why did people in the time of the Old Testament and even in the time of Jesus misunderstood Bible prophecy? Because again, they failed to pay attention to the details of the prophecies concerning his first coming in contrast to the details of the prophecies concerning his second coming. Isn't that interesting? Every Jew today in the morning prayer says, May our eyes will behold your return to Zion in mercy. How can a Jew say about the Messiah that he's going to return to Zion in mercy if he doesn't believe that he already came? I mean, that, that by itself is a contradiction. And the Jewish Talmud, by the way, says that the Messiah is going to come, if the Messiah is going to come riding a donkey, the people will not be ready. If the Messiah will come riding a horse, the people will be ready. Isn't it interesting? Jesus came and fulfilled Zechariah 9.9 by riding the donkey. And indeed, Israel wasn't ready. And the second coming of Jesus, he will come as a man of war riding a horse. And Israel then will be saved. As Romans 11 says, and all Israel will be saved. You know, it's very simple. God wants all of us to have clear understanding of his plans. And that's the purpose of the study of Bible prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So let's go over for a few seconds uh, over the time, the timeline that we have. You know, Mark Twain shows up in the early 1800s to the land that was called then Palestine, and he writes in called The Innocents Abroad that was published in London in 1881, a desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent mournful expanse, a desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. I mean, those Arab columns of Palestinians say they were here first. Mark Twain didn't even see a human the whole time that he was here in the early 1800s. We never saw a human. And then he says there was hardly a tree or shrub. Look, if they were here, they would have had trees. 
They would have had agriculture. There was hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. And look what he says. Even the olive and the cactus, who's, that they are the fast friends of the worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Complete desolation. That's why, by the way, when Ezekiel 36 says in verse 8, But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit for my people Israel, for they are about to come. This is a strong, amazing word that was set forth by God to the land of Israel to be fruitful once again, not for the return quote-unquote, of Arabs to the land, but to the return of the rightful owners of the land, the the, the people of Israel. And in preparation for the mass return of the Jews to the land, the land had to be fruitful, and the swamps had to be dried up, and the mountains and the valleys, it's unbelievable. And you are watching now that Psalm, you know, excuse me, uh, Ezekiel 36 is now being fulfilled. And then, okay, now when the land is ready, we need to bring the people back. But the people enjoy Europe too much. The croissants and the strudels and the coffee and whatever it is, I'm not sure. But definitely when they thought about Palestine of those days and the desert and the mosquitoes and the malaria and, and, and there is nothing there, that wasn't too appealing to them. And ladies and gentlemen, little did they know that Europe was going to become their graveyard. And as I said, the Holocaust took place in 1945. And the Bible says in Ezekiel 37 that Ezekiel was led into a valley full of dry bones. And in verses 11 to 14, and he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy. Look at the word prophesy. Prophecy, prophesy. Prophesy, tell them about the future. Tell them about my plan of the future. You know, a lot of people call themselves prophets. (laughs) No. Prophets were certain people that God chose, and they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not even a private interpretation of anything. And the prophesy says to Ezekiel, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, you're still my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come from the graves, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. He says, That's not Palestine, it's Israel, he says. And then he says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves, and I will put your my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Not only that it's called Israel, but it's your own land. And then... You shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and God is not only talking and performed it, says the Lord. And this is interesting because a lot of believers are confused about Psalm 83. You know, they think that uh, it might be a future event, future war, but it can't be a future event and a future war because Israel was born as a nation in 1948. And the big thing that happened in 1948 is that the name was changed by David Ben-Gurion from Palestine to Israel. Palestine is a foreign name that was given to the land by Adrian in 135 AD after the Philistines, the Old Testament foes of Israel. And, and, and just so you understand, Jews and Gentiles and Arabs as alike. In fact, more Jews used it than Arabs. 
The Palestine Orchestra is the Philharmonic today. The, the Palestine Post is the Jerusalem Post of today. We were using the Palestinian passport until 1940 because that's the name of the area of the time. It's not a name of a nation. It's not a name of, of a people. It's a name of an, a geographical location. Okay? So, so now, David Ben-Gurion says, when he declares the state, he says, enough is enough. I hereby declare the establishment of this, the state of the Jews, which is going to be called Israel. By the way, I saw, I saw the paper that President Harry Truman was about to issue to recognize uh, the state. Now, he didn't even know what it's going to be called. Literally, listen, he knew it's going to be the state of the Jews because everybody talked about a homeland for the Jewish people. But he didn't know which name is going. So he says the state of the Jews. And then you see that he crossed it. And he says state of Israel. When he, when he heard Ben-Gurion says Israel, boom, he crossed and he says Israel. Now I know. And we recognize the state of Israel. And look what Psalm 83 says. Do not keep silent, O God, and do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. And they have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. And they have said, come and let us what? Cut them off from being a nation. You see, Israel is not just the name of a land. It's a name of a nation and that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. Why? Because now, just now, Ben-Gurion declared it as Israel. Let's cut them off. That, that name will not be remembered. You know, Adrian tried to suppress that name. And 2,000 years later, whoop, it floats. Now the invading powers of Jordan and Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and even Iraq, look what it says, for they, they have consulted together with one consent, they form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and Hagarites, Gebal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with the inhabitants of Tyre, all the land around us, all the immediate countries, and Assyria also has joined with them, which is Iraq of today. And they have helped the children of Lot. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a description of 1948 and then later on 1967. The two major wars. And it's very interesting because now we have peace with Jordan. We have peace with Egypt. Lebanon is collapsing. Syria does not exist anymore. All the first tier of countries is gone. Either have peace with us or gone. And Ezekiel's 38 and 39 is no longer speaking about the first tier. Look what it says. It says the following thing. And I, I, I you know, you can finish reading Psalm 83. But I want you to know that we fixed now all of our eyes on Damascus because Isaiah 17 tells us that Damascus is going to cease to exist. But I want to tell you, folks, all the forces are aligned together against Israel now in Syria on, its, on their way to, to, to eventually have an assault on Israel. The Russia is there and Iran is there and Turkey is there. They're all there physically. And this is exactly the countries that Ezekiel 38 con con confirms that they're going to come against us. And, 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 and it's interesting because, you know, whether it's going to happen before or after we are out of here, before the Antichrist is coming. We have to, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have to be out of here. Let no one deceive you by means, for the day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy comes first. 
the apostasia. Another word, apostasia, is also in the book of Acts. The falling away, the departure from truth. And the man of sin is revealed. Look, he's telling the Thessalonians, look, the end times, the day of the Lord, all that is going to happen at the very end will be characterized by two things, the fall of the church and the rise of the Antichrist. But I want to tell you something regarding what's going to happen to you. He cannot show his face before we are taken out of here. In Revelation 19, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus worship God and look what he says for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy see how important prophecy is that's the testimony of Jesus is I was I am and I will be it's not just I was <laughs> it's not just I am 2,000 years ago I will be I God is you know it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to get ready. We need to get ready. Everything is lined up. Everything. Look, Ezekiel 36, the restoration of the land, the restoration of the people back to the land, coming back to the land of Israel, the restoration of the language back to the Jewish people. Now they took Jerusalem in 1967. Now Jerusalem is recognized in 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, one thing after the other. If you're not ready, and if you don't make yourself ready, then what's the purpose of Bible prophecy? The purpose of Bible prophecy is that you will be ready because we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. Look, there's one thing about God that is interesting is that there are things he revealed and there are things that he is not revealed. There are days and sometimes there's events. We know the days and the weeks and the months. We know everything. I mean, even the return, the, the coming of Jesus in the first time, we, we could, if we counted the days from the declaration of Artaxerxes uh, to go, to decree, to go and build the Jerusalem and the temple, um, we would have known exactly 173,880 days are this, those 69 weeks based on the fact that 69 times 7 times 360 days in the in, in the it is amazing that's why he says Jerusalem how could you have missed your visitation but yet of course we don't want to miss our visitation in heaven so i pray as we are wrapping it up right now i pray that you understand that prophecy is for you to prepare and not for you to be scared. And I pray that you understand that God is merciful and he wants you. He wants you to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time, the high time, not to fall asleep as others do. So we must remember that. And I want to encourage you 
to continue the study of the Word of God, to stay close to the Word of God so you know the heart of God and the plan of God and be mindful of the things of God. God bless you. All right. All right. see that's been fulfilled prophecy that's going to be fulfilled and it is exciting to see that as a as a believer i loved what you said prophecy is given to prepare us and for us to prepare others and it's so true how we need to be ready in these days and uh to be expectant and to be looking up because uh, jesus is coming soon and, and we're so excited for that reminder here today that you gave us and uh what a privilege it's been just to have you with us but uh uh, hopefully you still got a little bit of energy left yes. um, and because we want to get into some Q&A time. And, and uh, we've got a number of questions that have come in. And uh, so I'm going to see if we can kind of run through a number of them. Uh, many people wrote questions in already, and we're thankful for all of you that sent questions in. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. Forgive me. I apologize if we don't get to yours, but we're going to get to as many as we can. I know people are going to be ready. You, you talked earlier about... Uh, croissants and coffee in Europe, and I'm I'm getting hungry, and uh, I'm a weak man. Sorry, Amir, but uh, boy, uh, we want to kind of move through some of these quickly. So let me jump into it. Um, there was one question that was posed even right on our live stream here um, in the comment section that we'll just touch because it's kind of just you know pertinent for today. But uh, someone asked, "How's Christianity growing in Israel today? Are you seeing a revival taking place there?" Yeah. Well, you know, every country, a revival uh, is a uh, relative uh, thing. It's, uh, you know, what, what can be in the millions in China uh, can be translated to dozens in Israel, and it will still be the same. Um, we do see an increase in the number of believers. There's a roughly uh, 25 to 30,000 believers in Israel, which is, uh, look, when I came to Christ, we were 2,000. Uh, it was 25 years ago. It was uh, actually 30 years ago. It was uh, 1990, uh, around this time of the year, uh, uh, 30 wow. years ago. Um, I'm 30 years old, uh, not 47. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, um, really, um, the, the, the body of Christ is growing. But you have to understand, this is a very, very hard place to, to, to preach the gospel uh, simply because people, they can be as secular as possible when it comes to Jesus there. <laughs> They're yeah. just, that's that's not for Jews, you know. Right. They have in their mind that this is a different religion for different people. The New Testament is a, a book for the Gentile. Jesus started a new religion and all of that. So it's not easy, but I, I see, you know, slowly, slowly people come to faith. We have a revival also in the music in the land. In the, in the infrastructures that we have here, we, we see a lot of good things happening. Awesome. Great to but hear. With that comes also a lot of bad theologies and confusion and all of that, which is the diseases that we see all across uh, the world. This is one of the signs of the end times, the apostasy. So we for see sure, that, sure. unfortunately, as well. Right. Uh, another question here. What will the significance of a shared prime minister government be in Israel? It's a it's a solution to make the 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 the, the square round basically. Uh, nobody okay. likes it, uh, 
but hey, there was no other way but uh, to go to another set of elections, which would have been disastrous, uh, A, financially, and B, with the coronavirus, it would have been almost impossible. So that's the only solution we had, and uh, time will tell if uh, it's working. Uh, sure. It's only it's only been uh, less than a week, uh, actually right. exactly a week. It's exactly a week from, uh, okay. from you know, uh, uh, today is exactly a week from the swearing in of the uh, government. Right. Awesome. Um, here's another question: The feasts of the Lord, written about in Leviticus, were commanded by God for the children of Israel. So right. because the reason to celebrate these feasts of the Lord, Passover, First Fruits, Pentecost, etc., because they were fulfilled by Jesus, and as a Jew who believes Jesus is the Messiah, how has your celebration of these feasts changed? And then it goes on to say, for me as a Gentile, in what way should I celebrate like the Feast of Tabernacles as commanded by God in, in Zechariah 14? Yeah. So first of all, we have to understand these are the feasts of the Lord. And uh, we we uh, we have seen the fulfillment of of them in uh, in Jesus. So when we come to celebrate Passover, we we talk both about the story of Passover and about the life of Jesus uh, being the Passover. Um, so we're we're not really religious per se when it comes to uh, keeping all the little have to. Uh, we understand uh, that the law was the nanny and it introduced us yeah, to yeah. now uh, the substance. And you know what? When you walk in the street and you see a person's shadow, uh, you don't shake that shadow's hand. You wait for the person. To, and when the person comes, right. you shake his hand. You talk to him, not to the shadow. The feasts were the shadow and the Bible says that in Colossians chapter 2, I mean, let no one judge you for food or drink or festivals or new moons or Sabbath. These are the, these are the shadows of things mm -hmm. to come. Substance is Christ. So yes. we celebrate them, but we celebrate them with Jesus in the center. And uh, I believe that uh, it, you don't have to worry about celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle because the people that will have to worry are the Gentiles that will have to come every year. Uh, from the nation that were left of the tribulation. Mm -hmm. We're going to have our glorified bodies already. Yeah. And uh, for us, it's not going to be an yeah. issue. And that's great. And I'm going to do something here. Um, you didn't ask me to do this, Samir, but I'm going to give a quick plug here on your latest book. We got it right here, The Day Approaching. Because in that book here, you talk about the different feasts and you talk about exactly. them being the shadows and how they point to Jesus. And you did a great job. In, in describing that. So anybody looking for a good read right here, The Day Approaching by Mir Sarfati here. Uh, he didn't ask me to do that, but um, I'm going to do it anyway. So uh, great read there. Um, okay, thank you for that. Now, uh, it also says in God's word in several places that all Israel will be saved. Can you explain what that means, all Israel? Yeah, it means that when Jesus comes back, those... The, the people of Israel that uh, did not receive the mark of the beast and ran away to the place God prepared for them in the desert, they are a people that will be expecting the Messiah to come. And then when they see him, you can read about it in Zechariah chapter 12, and they look at him whom they pierce and they will mourn and cry. They will repent. They'll accept him. And that is exactly what Romans 11 meant. That moment all Israel at the time, because remember, two-thirds of Israel will perish. 
Uh, yes, we read it yeah. in the prev in the following chapter. Uh, so the people that uh, Israel that remain faithful and that their name are the Bible says those whose who, that their name look if you go to Daniel to the best of my knowledge Daniel chapter 12 explains it the most allow me to uh, to read it to you because uh, Daniel uh, is my hero when it comes to explaining that particular thing Daniel says um, the following uh, thing just a second uh, see here okay so I'm reading from chapter 12 the following thing and look what it says it says and then Michael shall stand up the time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands Watch over the sons of your people, Michael, the archangel, mm -hmm. the one uh, signed for Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was seen. Uh, there was a uh, uh, that was such as never was since there was a nation, even to this to that time. And at the time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found in the book yeah yeah so so we we see that uh and uh, that's wonderful awesome uh here's a great question here what scriptures lead us to believe that we will be departed ahead of the antichrist well second Thessalonians chapter two basically is giving us the fact that um he cannot be revealed until the restrainer first is removed and uh when you look at the when you, by the way, I have, whole, I have a whole message on the restrainer, but the, the restrainer, we believe it's the Holy Spirit that is here dwelling and, uh, and uh, what it restrains. And, and also we, by the way, in many ways, because it dwells in us, we yeah. are uh, part of the restrainer in a sense. The Holy Spirit dwelling in the church. Yeah, right. obviously. And uh, we know that, um, and a lot of times people don't know, but the restrainer is restraining two things. It restrains the judgment of God from happening. And many times, by the way, the pleading of the people of God restrain God from uh, harsh judgment. But it's also restraining, the, of course, the supernatural manifestation that will eventually kick off once the Antichrist is going to show up. But I believe, with all of my heart, I believe that if you're not destined to the wrath of God, if he is to take you out of the hour of trial that is going to come upon this world, and if you are the bride, show me one bridegroom that is beating up his wife before he takes her uh, yeah. and marries her. Uh, so, I, I, uh, you know, the Antichrist is bad news to the whole world and to Israel. Yeah. And I do believe that because, by the way, Pastor Brent, there's one one more thing that you may want to use later also, uh, another proof that I believe we're not going to be there. You know, in Isaiah 43, Israel was called, you are the witnesses of God. In Acts chapter 1, the church is the witnesses. Mm. So if we're taken, yeah. then there is a need for two witnesses. Right, and yeah. If, if we were here, the two witnesses... Why would you need two witnesses when there's so many witnesses here? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's good. Uh, yeah. 
I think Second Thessalonians 2 is a key passage that, yes, that really makes that so clear for us. And then certainly other passages that, that bring that allusion to, you know, I mean, uh, God's unappointed um, us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Um, and that's certainly going to be a time of uh, the outpouring of God's wrath during that time for sure. Um, okay, moving along here. Uh, this is great. And uh, here's one. Um, I'm going to try to break this question down a little bit. Um, recently, the, the question arose again, why did God allow the Holocaust to take place? Um, so regarding the Holocaust, could the Lord, the question is, could the Lord have been so, you know, disappointed with the Jews at that time, um, that he allowed the German people to be led into that terrible act by evil Hitler, use them as he did with the Babylonians, Assyrians, Romans in the past was his plan, was God's plan through this to provide the Jews with their own nation so that they might recognize his love and plans for them and be drawn to him through Jesus Christ. Um, it goes oh, on to say, I know that's lengthy right there. Maybe take that right there. No, I mean, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm just going to say, um, there is the Holocaust of the Jews and there is the Holocaust in Rwanda. And there, uh, there was a genocide in, in, in other places. There's so much evil in this world. Yeah. And yeah. I cannot, even as a Jew, I cannot single out only the Jews as uh, why that one and all the rest, uh, I wouldn't wonder as well. We have to, we have to remember that Evil is the product of free will. Men from day one had the ch chance to choose good or evil, uh, death or life, and 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 without free choice, without without free will, there cannot be love. Also, yeah. uh, you cannot love anyone. God cannot uh, be loved if there is no free will. And I believe that uh, many times evil is rampant, and we see that. And unfortunately, we turn to God rather than turn to the evildoers and mm -hmm. to the proponent of evil, which is Satan. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, God could have created robots and he could have, he could have programmed, pre-programmed all of us and we wouldn't be able to love anyone. Exactly. And maybe also not commit evil things as well. Yeah. But all I'm saying is that, unfortunately, since sin entered the world because of free will, because if Adam and Eve were pre-programmed, they would have said no. Mm -hmm. But they exactly. had a free will. Yeah. Because of free will that enables us to love God, unfortunately, the byproduct of it in a sinful world is that sheer amount of evil. And unfortunately, the Jewish people uh, had uh, a big portion of it along the course of the years. But, you know, God is righteous God. Mm. He's faithful. Amen. And I believe that he will judge things in a righteous way. Yeah, perfect. That's great. Thank you for answering that. Um, another one here. Can one, what do you think here? Can one go too far or spend too much time or energy in following world end time happenings? Especially if in doing so, they become a little bit critical or judgmental of other Christians who, for whatever reason, don't hold similar views or a passion towards those things um and let somebody me go guess, too far in that view? guess who wrote it the latter part wrote it that, <laughs> sure yeah that question most well, likely let yeah let, let me tell let me tell you this um there's always the danger that we believed in the importance of a third of the bible that is is being neglected but then 
a lot of people, what they do, they take that third and now they neglect the other two thirds. Mm -hmm. And then they neglect how to treat one another. They neglect how to, how to behave, how to yeah. treat a brother, how to love a brother, how to restore, how to handle a brother in the Lord. So I'm saying uh, we all have to be watchmen. We all have to see what's going on. We all have to be alert. We have to watchful. We have to see. But at the same time, if there is no love found among us, then how will we even be known as his followers? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm saying, uh, you know, you need to know what's going on. You need to understand what's going on. But you need to trust the Lord and not get anxious and, and all freaked out on, because of what is going to look. You know, here we are. It, 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 it's, it's, we're almost at the end of, of the coronavirus. And instead of leading people to Christ and instead of telling them the truth of the gospel, all I hear Christians do is, I'm not going to get a vaccination. I'm not going to get a vaccination. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. This is not... Let, that's not what we need to focus on right now. This whole ancient fight of should or should we not be vaccinated? Why is it now your the main engine of of, of yeah. your 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 you know your your whole uh, focus right now? Yes, yeah. I'm so, I'm saying so. Yes, we have to understand what's going on. And here I am every week. I give a Middle East update in order to give people what's going on. But at the same time, if we are not focusing on the word of God and the work of God, exactly. then it's worth nothing. Well said. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's so important. You know, and that's been something I've been encouraging our church as we get ready to come back together Next Sunday, uh, let's keep the emphasis on Jesus and just serving mm -hmm. one another. And mm -hmm. uh, there can be lots of debates over what your view is towards all that's been going on and COVID-19, but let's keep it about Jesus, my I'm friends. I'm always that's saying, when Jesus comes to take us, how do you want him to find you? <laughs> Fighting over vaccination or yeah. sharing the word of God with people? There you go. That's, that's, that's basically what, what I summon it for. Yeah, that's great. No, that's perfect. Right. Thank you. Um, okay. Um, we got maybe just one or two more here we'll cover. Um, after, after hearing, here's a question, after hearing from someone saying the Antichrist comes from Islam, now in Daniel 9, the question is that the people of the prince who will come are Rome, they're assuming that it's Rome, and if the prince is the Antichrist, then wouldn't that confirm that the Antichrist comes from the Roman Empire? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I never understood the concept of a Muslim Antichrist when the Antichrist will allow the Jews to build a temple on the Temple Mount. Right. Show me one Muslim on planet Earth that will gladly <laughs> allow the Israelite, the Jews, to replace the Dome of the Rock with a, with a, a Jewish temple. Yeah. I, I don't understand. And, and show me one Israeli that will allow an anti, a, a Muslim to be his Messiah. You're right. So, I mean, there's... It's just, it's just not, uh, mm -hmm. not even making sense. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Um, okay, last one here. I was just wondering about the people being born during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Is there an opportunity of salvation for them? If so, would they be raised at the great white throne judgment and make it to the judgment, or would they be raised some other time? Look, um, it's a good question. Um, this is one of those questions where I said, where the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. Um, because 
if, if I'm going to tell you what I think right now, I will need to substantiate it with, with Bible verses. But simply, uh, we do have Bible verses on what is going to happen in the, in the millennial kingdom, but definitely not on this particular thing. But I can tell you one thing. If Jesus is reigning and people are, they believe in him, show me one verse in the Bible that says that a person that believes in Jesus at some point in a history will not be saved. There is no such thing. So I am, I am holding on to the truth that anyone who confesses in his mouth and believes in his heart that Jesus is Lord and follows him and he's, and he's a follower of Christ, he has to be saved. Or else what's, where, where is it that we draw the line? Now, now, will I now say to myself, I don't need to do it now because I've got a chance? Most likely you will not have a chance. If you never read the book of Revelation, let me show you that the chances of you rejecting him now and accepting him then are almost below zero. You know, God, the Bible says that in 2 Thessalonians 2, because they rejected the love of the truth that might save them, God gave them strong delusions. So my point is, this is something that probably I'm sure there will be a possibility for them then, but it has nothing to do or has no effect on any salvation of any person today. Mm -hmm. So um, any debate whether I should accept him now or not, or do I have another chance? Don't even think that way. <laughs> yeah, don't wait. <laughs> no, because you'll never yeah. be there if that's how you think right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm saying, sure. you know, but I've never heard of Jesus at any given moment no. rejecting people and saying um, if they truly believe in him. Yeah. And saying, you know what, it's expired. <laughs> you yeah. can't. Yeah. And we know the millennium is going to be a, an exciting time where we're going to see people there like the church in their glorified bodies. And then yes. other people that are coming through uh, and, and reproduction happening and population growing. It's going to be a, an interesting time where I believe, yeah, there is going to be that righteousness yeah. reigning. People being led to the Lord for sure. And then what happens to, remember, to them as far as their resurrected bodies? We'll wait and see. Yes, but there is also people don't pay attention to the fact that after the millennial kingdom is over, Satan will be released for yeah. a short while and he will deceive the nations again. Yeah. And the number of those that will join him will be the number of the sands of the sea, which means there is a good chance if you live at the very end of the millennial kingdom that you might even be joining Satan sure. uh, in true. his new uh, yeah. last ditch. Last rebellion there, yeah. Exactly. exactly. That's great. Amir, thank you so much for taking time to answer some questions, and thank you so much for sharing with us here at Riverside Calvary Chapel today. It has been such an honor to have you with us. Um, I would love just to kind of close our service and just pray for you and for the ministry of Behold Israel. You guys are doing just a great work, and we're appreciative of all that you guys are doing. So if I can, I just have to pray with you and for you here before we uh, wrap up here. Lord, thank you for this great day here together. Thank you for letting Amir be with us and be able to share from God's word about just the, the importance and the wonders of prophecy. Just you sharing, Lord, what you have in store for us. And it is exciting to see the things unfolding today. And Lord, to know that these are all fitting in according to what you've already said, what you've already shown us. So I pray, Lord, help us to be prepared and ready. Help us to prepare others 
and just to look and live these lives with expectancy and anticipation of what you are doing and of your soon coming again. And Lord, we thank you for Amir. We thank you for Behold Israel Ministries and all that they're doing and how they're reaching out and just ministering and sharing the truth of your word. Continue to bless them, provide for them. Would you keep Amir safe, Lord, in all that he's doing and just guide him in all that you have for him. So again, we thank you for today. Lord, be honored and glorified. Uh, we ask in your awesome name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Amir, thank you very Lord much. bless you and uh, you. look forward to one day, hopefully, having you here with us in person. And that would be awesome too. So here, there, or in the air. In the air. Amen. All right. Okay, we're Thank done, you. and uh, have a great God. rest of your night here, and uh, we'll talk again later. Lord bless. Bye-bye.